Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 165, She Wants Her Baby to Live. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 8 of Angel, Quickening, and season 2, episode 6 of Battlestar Galactica, Home, part 1. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, starting with Angel this week, uh, we have the episode Quickening. Um, And so, yeah, continuing uh, the Darla pregnancy storyline and uh, leaving with a cliffhanger into... Uh, another part. So we've got a little uh, arc building here uh, surrounding, you know, the prophecy and the baby and the pregnancy and everything. Sure. Um, and kind of interesting, we were, we noted before we started recording that both episodes, uh, coincidentally, for both shows are kind of part... I don't know if this is part one of something, but like are parts of a kind of little mini arc within the season. So, you know, uh, I think we'll have things to talk about, but both are fairly kind of expository and, and set up heavy, um, which, you know, uh, but that's not to say that there's an interesting character stuff that happens as well. Um, so for Angel, I wanted to start up front with the flashbacks, um, cause we get some more detail, I guess, about, Holtz's history with with Mm. Angelus and Darla um so you know we start with you know York 1764 and uh presumably correct me if you disagree but um presumably this is what leads into the, uh, the flashback of the previous episode because we hear in that last episode about Angelus having killed Holtz's family, right? Right. Um, and then, so here we're getting to see that. So, um, you know, he was already on Angelus's case, as you can see. Like, it starts with him, like, leading the charge to track him down and try to take him down. But there's this kind of one of those those fake outs where you think this is all in one location and then there's the reveal that, oh, snap, they're in like to- two totally different places. Um, yeah. So, you know, he's here he is coming to the the heroic rescue with his posse and, you know, you think, oh, you know, he's almost there, he's going to make it or, I mean, we know he's not because if you've been paying attention, you know that his family gets killed, but, you know, you know, there's that kind of fake out where they get in and then you see, oh, they're in a different house than the one you've been seeing Angelus and Darla in. And they've left a note for him kind of saying like, um, you know, what something taunting, like, oh, how can you save other people when you can't save your own family? That kind of thing. Um, You know, and then you find, so, you know, while he's off on this other wild goose chase, Angelus and Darla have, you know, attacked and killed his family and everything. Um, So, yeah, kind of setting up Holtz's, if not his sole motivation for hunting Angelus, at least like the personal, you know, uh, revenge aspect of that. Like, 
maybe he was a sort of normal vampire hunter, but the kind of motivation that goes behind something like putting yourself in stasis for 200 years to track down, like the kind of uh, personal, you know, vendetta that he has is sort of motivated by this, you know, attack on his, on his family. Yeah. Right. And yeah, like, I don't, I don't know that we ever get his sort of initial motivation other than, you know, we, we just, he's a a normal vampire hunter, you know, just out to slay vampires for some reason. Right. Um, But yeah, no, that doesn't seem to be, the death of his family doesn't seem to be the initial motivation where it does seem to be the case with maybe some others that we've seen um or you know potentially could be with others um so yeah yeah i don't i guess i didn't really have much more to add to that than just confirming okay you know my thoughts around what you're saying yeah um so and another thing i wanted to bring up too is this in uh you know very strong connection again between the two episodes is this emphasis on uh, family, you know, and the idea of home as in like, you know, the home life and the people that live there and, you know, those, uh, connections being very strong and everything. And, um, you know, and especially between parents and children, um, you know, so we can talk about that when we get to BSG, but in, within Angel, you know, you have now the, the kind of contrast or, or even parallel being set up between Holtz's protection or non-protection of his wife and children. And then in the future, you know, Angel and Darla now have a baby that needs protecting. Um, So you have these kind of situations being set up of, you know, parents who are trying to, or maybe are unable to protect their children. And you have Holtz going from the kind of grieving father to now the guy who could be on the other end of that equation. You know, he'll be, he could be the, the, the killer of the baby or the family, um, you know, to, you know, to, to get at Angel. I mean, he wants Angel too, but like, I have to imagine that when he finds out out about this this baby, that must seem like a fairly even trade to him. Um, you know, uh, eye for an eye kind of thing. Um, and going from the victim of that to sure. like the perpetrator of it. Yeah. No, I mean that definitely seems to be a good. Uh, analysis of the setup <laughs> like i i mean i don't want to confirm or deny anything obviously sure. um but yeah uh yeah and and i would point out too that um i, I mean this is sort of going beyond that immediate thing but like there's also i think generally in joss whedon's work um the idea of the chosen family as well yeah so you know like the scoobies and here you know the members of angels investigations and and their peripherals now Mm -hmm. like darla and 
uh, I would include maybe Lauren in that to mm-hmm. a certain degree, you know. Um, uh, but also in BSG, you get that same thing of, mm-hmm. you know, Adama saying, you know, he, he thinks of everyone as if they were his sons kind of thing. Right. And that that feels sort of like, like I've heard military people talk about the military family kind of thing too. But like, I think Adama, I I know we're talking about Angel, so I don't want to get too far down the BSG. Band room. of brothers. But, but yeah, but like, <laughs> but like, I think for Adama, he extends it even beyond at right. the end when he says, it's time to put this family back together. Right. Like, the whole the family fleet. is the, this fleet, is not the found just, family. Yeah. Not yeah. just the military. So yeah. anyway, I, yeah. I, all that to agree and maybe extend upon what you're saying about the family and, and the combination of those two themes in these episodes. Um, because I do think, like, I think it would be wrong for Angel to just focus on the baby as the family aspect. Obviously, that's the blood family. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's there's the whole family of Angel Investigations, too, that is yeah. potentially a threat if Holtz should find out about them, you know, and how much Angel relies on them and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to me um, how much Darla is now included in that. Like you included her in the list of peripheral figures who is not wholly maybe within the family, but, uh, but is a part of it, you know? And, um, You know, how much... I mean, um, she's a baby mama. She is baby mama. Um, So, like, like there's a... There's definitely... All right, I'm divorced. (laughs) But, like, I'm always going to be related to my ex. (laughs) Sure. Because we have children together. And, and, you know, our families know each other and and are friendly, at least. You know, and that sort of thing. Like, there's that sense of, like, even... One like it, it's something you can't take back, yeah. <laughs> in a way, um, at least right. in most cases. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah. Anyway, like I, I do think, as antagonistic as Darla has been, there is a sense in which she's family. And even thinking like, like I know we haven't seen Drusilla in a while, but like mm. she called them mommy and daddy, right? Right. Like, right. like you know, there's there's that sense too, where like even though Angel and Darla were not always or mostly on the same side, you know, uh, at least since Angel has been Angel rather than mm. Angelus, um, you know, that there is a sense where there's there's still a familial connection there um, as yeah. twisted and whatnot as it may be. Right, right. Yeah. Again, and, again, without going down any major spoilery roads. <laughs> sure. No, and I think it's easy to, it, it would be easy to just sort of attribute that to, you know, the, the, the pregnancy and everything of like, well, she's just, you know, this, uh, you know, vessel for the, the really important part that, you know, is really what Angel cares about. But like, I think you're right. Like there's something um, just about like their history together that you know she's also you know somewhat included in the family circle just even on her own just because of 
you know, who she is and what all they've been through and everything. Um, it, you know, it's, it's hard to say. It's one of those things of like, you know, there's been times where Angel would have or has tried to kill Darla in the past, but like, would he let Holtz just sort of saunter in and kill her? I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, there might be some aspect of it that, you know, that is easier said than done to just let that happen. Mm. Um, you know, further strengthened and complicated, obviously, by, you know, the the presence of the baby. Um, sure. So. Uh, before we leave the flashbacks behind, too, um, uh, wanted to point out the the parallel between you know the line about uh you know do you want to do it or should I um again kind of like setting up this idea of um you know so we kind of called this episode you know she wants her baby to live in Darla's case somewhat I don't know ironically or you know <laughs> how do you interpret that because you know that was her kind of first response to the sound of, of a baby crying, you know, in her peak mm. vampire days, you know, it's, it's a horrible noise that we have to stop. Um, you know, and then Angel asks, do you want to do it or should I, um, right. you know, and that's the question that she asks when she sort of wakes up at the beginning of this episode. So there's still that sense of, uh, you know, lack of maternal feeling that babies aren't something she ever, you know, in her vampire form wanted or would have, you know, considered, sure. you know, but I don't know. I hadn't planned quite on talking about Angel and Darla yet, but wanted to bring that up of, I don't know by the end of the episode that I totally feel that she f still feels that same way. Um, mm. You know, there seems to be a little bit more protectiveness going on. Um, okay. But before we get to that, actually, um, I wanted to talk about all the people, you know, uh, including Holtz, but including other people who are now sort of converging on the group um, for their different reasons. Um, yeah. So let's start with Holtz and his demon friend who are now, you know, in the year, whatever this is, 2000 or something, um, you know, and Holtz is uh, watching his sort of history tapes of the history of, you know, what he's missed in the last 200 years, 300 Cla years or something. Classic, you know, uh, cinematic visual of like, yeah. oh, I can watch some movies and catch up on all of, you know, History. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They usually, I, I usually think of it as like going like really fast. Like they kind of zip through the whole history of civilization and right. not like in like the fifth element or something where she like yeah. downloads that like, that's the, yeah. the one that comes to mind and that's she sees kind exactly of the, the one I was thinking of. Yeah. The atrocities of what, you know, and it always culminates in the atom bomb. It's sort of like, here's the, right. end, right. the right. end point of what, what it all resulted in is you know and he which he mentions i don't remember whether we see the atom bomb or not we probably do um but they, yeah, they right. talk and about like, like there's like five screens too like this guy 
who until an hour ago didn't even have any clue what a TV was can somehow right. like split his attention across like five different screens and know what's going on and absorb it all in this, in one sitting. You know? Right. Right. Yes. Um, and <laughs> so they mention, uh, they talk about, uh, you know, the, these visions, wars and weapons of destruction. So that's kind of what's impressing. Not, sure. not as you said, the, the history of achievement, not like, holy crap, there are televisions or like, right. you know, look at all the, what man's built in the last 200 years and what, how society or technology and, and the world has sort of advanced. That's the kind of, you know, takeaway is the wars and the weapons of, of, of mass destruction. Um, you know, and, and, and if you have all that, how come nobody has managed to kill, you know, Angelus and Darla? Um, you know, you've progressed so far and yet what have you done to solve the evils of, you know, the previous eras that I was suffering through? Um, you know, you haven't even avenged, you know, the people who were sort of subjected to their terrors and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, so. no, exactly. And, and well, and we learn I mean, Saijan or Sajan, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. The demon. Yeah. Um, we learn, too, is not corporeal. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's part of the answer. Is like, well, yes, man has come up with all these weapons, but I can't personally use them mm -hmm. for my vendetta that I've been going for however many years. Um, but we also learn that, like, he's sort of been playing with dimensional stuff. So, like, Maybe for Sajan, it's only been like a few years. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like maybe he stepped into another dimension and and came back, and you know, two hundred years had passed or whatever. So, um, right. That's the that's the the implication because he's kind of asking like, how have you stayed alive and not like you you don't look any different and all that and you know besides the work that he had, it's also like, well, I can go between these different time dimensions and sort yeah. of jump ahead um, um but which, which uh, well i just wanted to say too yeah. like given given that sort of uh ability to sort of jump ahead or what like i don't like i don't know that we like it's not necessarily like like you can't i mean maybe he could go back in time or whatever but like that's not the implication it's just seems to be that he just sort of skipped over mm. a couple centuries and is now here but that also gives you sort of a different time frame, considering we're talking about like centuries old prophecies and stuff mm -hmm. that are involved here. Like, you know, if you could just skip ahead a couple centuries, like, does that make it easier or harder to sort of like follow a prophecy, mm -hmm. you know, that's that old kind of thing and figure out what's going on. And um, I mean, there's also like, he is a demon. So like, the fact that he doesn't look older, like Angel's a couple centuries old and he doesn't technically look older, right? Like Right. We don't you know, know so what are the the rules of immortality for this particular demon and Right. Um So there's there's a possibility they accept him to another dimension and it took twice as long to get here or or longer and that he's been doing some other sort of preparatory thing. Right. 
um, that we just aren't privy to. Um, so right. anyway, we don't we don't really know, but it's just that that idea of for some reason, like like this is the time, and like we know that there's a prophecy around this kid, and we don't entirely know what it means. Because um, remember, right at the end of the the previous episode, we have like uh, uh, Fred saying, "Oh, here you go." I figured it out. There's something happening right now. And then, you mm. know, cut and there's Holtz like coming mm. out of this thing. So like, is that Sajan manipulating the prophecy somehow? Is he responsible somehow for it? Like, 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 is he even aware of it? Like one might think so, but you know, right. you don't really know what the details are there. So. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, um, if he's not, it kind of seems to me like he is aware of the prophecy, or at least he's aware of some sort of constraints of fate or something, because, you know, he kind of keeps alluding to that of, you know, that's his answer to why has nobody killed Angelus and Darla? Well, that's why I brought you here, because your fate is entwined with theirs. So like, some kind of sense of, at least in this, this demon's view, it's Holtz who has to be the one to do it. That's the whole point of bringing him forward. Um, like either he's destined to do it here and now, or nobody else can for some reason. And so that's, you know, why he kind of put him in his little, you know, uh, stasis for, you know, for two centuries. Yeah. Um, and I mean, another thing too, is just, uh, which I don't think we get a real sense of why, but, that he seems, the demon seems to have just as much of a vendetta against Angelus as Holtz does. You know, like, it mm. kind of seems like he keeps saying, like, well, you know, uh, I want him too. And, you know, I've been waiting for a long time too. Like, it's not, he's not just, like, he's not a pawn of Holtz's. It's, like, almost the other way around. Or... Or maybe there's equality there of we have the same goal, so we'll work together to right to do it. Um, you know. Well, and 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 there's a sense of from Holtz's perspective of him sort of selling out, like like as you could imagine, a vampire hunter also not you know being against other demons, right? But like like now this is his like I've been defeated, and now now I'm just gonna sell my soul to you know take vengeance kind of thing like yeah there's no more whatever mission he had there's nothing holy or just or whatever you know righteous term you might want to use about it like it's it's completely just him you know focused myopic on you know i want to kill angel for doing this thing that he did yeah there's like that kind of um that Faustian aspect to it of uh, mm-hmm. the line about, um, you know, I'll, I'll take you two centuries in the future through black magic and sorcery. No, on a mule cart, of course, through black magic and sorcery. I'm a demon. Like, that's what right, we do. Right. Like, you know, this, like, uh, if you want, if you want the advantage, you got to sign the deal with the devil. Um, you know, there's no, there's no white magic way to do this. Um, if, at least not when you're dealing with a demon. Um, so that's the bargain is, you know, 
you you sell out or sell yourself in a way to achieve you know uh right. what you know this this goal and everything so um but then that does kind of mean again it's not like the demon is your tool it means you're kind of the tool of the demon like you've given some measure right. of power to the demon in order to and, do this right and and willingly the tool. yes yeah yeah right. So, um, I mean, so there's some other stuff with them. They, they, uh, they go and get some minions. Um, and there's kind of like the, you know, we, the, the cliffhanger is sort of the confrontation of Angelus seeing Holtz for the first time, but, um, I'm not sure what else there is really to say about, uh, that group. Um, meanwhile, totally separately, uh, Wolfram and Hart <laughs> is also, you know, it, it, it's ending up that there are all these different factions sort of, you know, converging on the team and everything. So simultaneously, you've got Wolfram and Hart. Um, and I hadn't noticed this before. Lila also is doing some sort of little Faustian thing, signing a letter in her own blood. Um, you know, we don't get what it's referenced to, but, um, yeah. you know, that's the kind of thing she does all the time. She must, you know, sign a lot of contracts that way. Um, and, you know, we get this little thing with the mailroom guy, whose name is Cyril, apparently, um, which I had to, I found a little confusing i have to admit like a little convoluted of like okay who is he all right he's back he's blackmailing her but no he's on her team but no he's really on gavin's team and gavin just wants to show her some tapes but they're not on a team but they're sharing and like i i wasn't quite sure yeah that whole point of all of it was <laughs> that that whole like oh we tricked lila into coming down and discovering our surveillance room like discovering things that we were planning to show her yeah like i don't anyway. i don't really get that either to be um, honest um you know it's I, whatever I, yeah i feel like it's it's one of those things where like i don't know maybe it's maybe it's more maybe like the point is just that you know wolfram and hart is so convoluted and everyone's sort of looking out for themselves mm -hmm. you know so much that like there's not like there's not really much sense to it sometimes like right they can't ever just say hey let me show you what i've been working on yeah we have to hey, like can you have come a down to my <laughs> surveillance room i got some tapes i want you to right. see right. um yeah um i yeah. i don't i don't fully get that either do you, i mean other than to have Cyril then contact, you know, the master of destruction or whatever. Right. Are, he like the, leaves a voicemail for. Yeah. 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 You know, press three for the Lord of Darkness. Right. Uh, right. And or whatever it is. And, which which those are the guys who come in to worship, you know, the miracle child. Right. That's what I take it. Yeah, like those. Yeah. That's that's the some right, sort of the, cult. the vampire cult. Yeah, 
the cult right. of vampires. I mean, not not to be confused with the humans who right. worship vampires. Right. Um, right. As uh, Chanterelle come and uh, yeah. once did. Right. Right. Um. Okay. So yeah. So they do. They. Uh, you know. After much you know, weaseling around, they do all end up in the surveillance room <laughs> looking at, um, so apparently that's what Gavin's, you know, exterminators were doing was planting bugs rather than, you know, exterminating them. Um, so now they have however many hours worth of, you know, surveillance tapes that they've, you know, you know transcribe and spy on them and everything. Um, and so they find out about Darla, um, you know, which sends Wolferman Hart into a big tizzy, you know, because uh, the senior partners could find out and all of their heads would roll, probably literally, um, you know, and, and you know, all the, 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 the blame game gets started of, all right, if somebody's going to take the fall, who's it going to be? And, um, you know, start executing all the psychics who should have known and everything. Um, so we get this guy, Linwood, who we haven't seen before, right? Or have we? I don't think we've seen Linwood. I don't think so. So he seems like this new, one of these, like, like not new, I'm sure he's been around, but like new to us, you know, one of these middle management kind there, of guys. Like, Yeah, there seems to be a revolving door of people to right. whom Lila referred. And like... Given, I mean, we've given how many other people we've seen uh, terminated by Wolfram and Hart. Like, that's not necessarily completely surprising. Right. right. <laughs> um, like, it seems to be going on at all levels where there's just, you know, these people who, uh, yeah, who may be. Yeah. No, everybody is sort of neck is on the chopping block pretty much constantly. Um Yeah. And, and each of them sort of uh, mostly spends the majority of their time trying to pass the buck, um, you know, and not right. take the credit or the blame for when things go wrong, which they do quite a lot. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he's kind of, you know, Linwood comes in as, as this, you know, manager and um, is trying to you know, get his team together to get to this baby, you know, more quickly than anybody else. Um, you know, so they have a kind of team called in. They also call in, uh, you know, Dr. Fetvanovich from, you know, the Balkan satellite office, <laughs> who's there, right, right. you know, demon baby doctor. Um, so, yeah, I don't know whether there's... I don't know that I have much more to say about Wolfram and Hart, actually. Um, yeah. Uh, just, I did a quick uh, quick look up. Lin Linwood is sort of the official uh, uh, replacement for Holland. Right, okay. Manor. So, like, like yeah. there wasn't someone in between. It's just we haven't seen him before. We just before. haven't seen him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so... Yeah, I don't know that there's much to say other than that, yeah, they just kind of have this thing going on. Um, they've apparently got 
you know, surveillance in the hotel and, mm-hmm. you know, they're using the psychics, but, you know, they're not very good psychics, apparently. Um, so, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know that there's much more to say about them. Um, other than, like, <laughs> poor Lila. She just can't catch a break. She sends an assassin. Who, right, that's right, yeah. Uh, like, her, her big... Her big thing is like, oh, let me show you how this is done, you know, and right. calls calls Gavin a rookie and, you know, calls up supposedly. The, I mean, how many times have has she now sent an assassin after like Angel and or <laughs> members of his team? And it's just it like she never learns. Right. Right. Um, of course, Angel doesn't even kill this one. Like this one's taken care of by the vampires. Right. Right. Who? Cyril called in. So again, different people at like nobody at Wolfram and Hart is really helping each other in any other way. Like, you know, they they all have their own individual agendas and they all end up interfering with each other. Um, Even when they want the same thing, they still end up interfering with each other because there's all these like competing interests and egos involved and everything. Um, so, I mean, and kind of, uh, for all, you know, Lila, you know, dumps on him and everything, you know, Gavin's surveillance thing is kind of proved to be the most useful thing because they wouldn't have known about Darla otherwise. Um, mm. you know, their, their psychics didn't tell them any, you know, give them any heads up. None of the assassins or squad teams that get sent in can do anything because they run into somebody who kills them, whether that's, you know, good guys or bad guys or whoever, um, or they take each other out in, you know, the crossfire or whatever. Um, and so then that way, you know, all of Gavin's sort of, you know, sneaking around and doing things through like, you know, uh, I don't know legal paperwork and you know extermination teams and all that kind of stuff is kind of more effective in a way um because at least it gets them information even if they can't even if they don't know how to you know know what to do with it i guess right um Um, yeah no i and yeah, there is a sense in which, uh, yeah, Gavin is sort of the one winning there. But at the same time, like you said, like he doesn't, like okay, he can spy on Angel and team. But one, like, like he has this one guy who's like part tech support, part like transcriptionist. Like, okay, sure, I suppose you could do both of those things, but why not like specialize a little bit? Um, and, you know, have like someone upstairs, you know, with a, you know, have like a stenographer or something, you know, going at it. I I don't know. Um, and then, but like, yeah, like, so they just like Lila with the assassin, like, you know, Linwood and, and Gavin send in this like tactical team, but like, (laughs) 
you know, Linwood's like, who, who's the pirate with the sword? Like, you know, he takes out their entire, you know, modern army tactical team with assault rifles and stuff that, you know, again, like, I don't, like, who are these incompetents that Wolfram and Hart keeps employing? Like, is this, like, typical right. of, like, you know, corporate hiring staff? You know, like, <laughs> these are, like, like the event people, you know, who are cooking the buffet because they, you know, they're not good enough cooks to, like, cook at a five-star ref- restaurant kind of thing, right? Like, this sure. is that sort of level of quality. Gun for hire, Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're guns for hire, but they're not the best guns for hire. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like, they're just sort of the the adequate guns for hire. <laughs> right, um, right. And not, e- not even quite that, um, apparently. Um, so, yeah. Well, and so, yeah. And that's kind of the big downfall with Wolfram and Hart, that, you know, the advantage that Angel's team has is that we've seen them identify their different strengths and work together as a team, you know, whereas like there's an absolute refusal to do that at Wolfram and Hart. Like, okay. Yeah. They have some incompetent, you know, aspects of their operation, but like you kind of got the sense that if they pooled all of their limited resources together, they can maybe be, you know, overwhelming enough to take out who they want. But like, when the right and the left hands are working against each other, you know, then, you know, it's always yeah. going to, you know, like Gavin's kind of, you know, ultimately uh, ineffectual surveillance, n- not coupled with, you know, Lila's kind of mediocre assassins. Like if they put those things together, maybe they could do something, but like on their own, they just can't. Mm. Um and so they're always in this sort of state of crisis and not knowing what's going on or how to do anything about it. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, and then ultimately, like like you said, Holt sort of takes them out, you know, without breaking a sweat. So of of all the players, they're like the least, you know, powerful on the board. You know, they're they're getting sure. swatted out of the way in favor of this confrontation between Holtz and Angelus. Like, like Wolfram and Hart thinks of themselves as like this great enemy of Angelus, but like, they're like a footnote. Like they're like, you know, they get defeated by the guy who's really the great enemy who's here to confront Angelus about something else. Um, So, you know, kind of interesting how like they're all sort of, trying to get in the game at the same moment, but you right. know, not all of these confrontations are equal. Um, so okay. yeah. Um, I mean, and the only other thing in there I want to mention again, just a little more clearly is the, the, the cult of the baby vampire, you know, that there is a cult that just that the fact that there is one is interesting. And so, you know, the prophecy of, you know, what's in the scrolls is obviously fairly well known enough that there's exists this sort of religion around this miracle child. Um, and the way that they all like reverently whisper that every time somebody says the miracle child, they're all going, 
the miracle child, the miracle child. Like, <laughs> right, right. Um, like they, they're, so, they're kind of compelled to, you know, repeat the phrase and everything. Um, you know, don't care about the parents of the miracle child, apparently. Like there's no, there's no divine family associated with the miracle child. They'll like kill Angel and all his friends and they kind of will maybe not harm Darla if it harms the baby, but if they can get rid of her and keep the baby, they'll do that too. Um, so it's just kind of a cult around the baby itself, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So should probably talk then about Angel and team given yes. given that we don't have more to talk about with the others. But um Yeah, and I don't even know that there's a ton to say because like I feel like like we were kind of talking about beforehand, um both of these episodes are kind of like setting up things to mm. come. Yeah. Um so I mean, obviously, we, you know, we still have Angel, and we have Darla, like, like the whole opening thing where Angel kind of comes in and it's like putting his hand on, on Darla. And it's like this sort of almost tender moment, like he's wondering what's going on. But then like, and they have their little dialogue, but then like the rest of the team comes in and they're like fully armed and like ready yeah. for action in case Darla attacks them or whatever. Um, right. And the, and the majority of the episode is trying to figure out what is in there um you know is it a vampire a baby is it something else entirely is it gonna like right attack them and destroy the world as soon as it's born and how are they going to take it out like you know talking about how they can chop off its you know multiple heads assuming it has multiple heads and all this kind of thing right i didn't um, say it was i didn't say it was a bad multiple you know two-headed beast or whatever <laughs> like an right, evil right. two-headed thing <laughs> Um, yeah, which is interesting. Like, so one of the things that sort of, I don't know, I guess I don't, I don't know that it's exactly a, uh, mistake or, uh, you know, whatever flaw, but like, we got the explanation already that the thing that whatever Darla was carrying has a soul. Like, Angel already said it, right? This is why she's going after purer and purer blood. Right. You know, i.e. children. Right. Um, so, like, I do kind of feel like some of that conjecture is, like, a little, you know, I hate this term, but contrived. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. You know, like, like I feel like, like, no, we've, we've already kind of answered that mm -hmm. question. Like, because mm -hmm. who else has souls other than people? Like, in the Buffyverse. Like, right. We're, we don't really, like, there aren't other sort of sentient beings, i.e. demons or gods or whatever, that are described as sort of, like, having souls. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know that I entirely... Right. I mean, they have the conversation, it's quote-unquote canon or whatever. So, like, I guess I guess maybe you could explain it away as, like, they're, they're second-guessing or... Sure. You know, maybe they're not really sure, but I do kind of feel like that 
that was already addressed. So some of that discussion seems kind of like, like it's right. just sort of like drummed up to like build suspense around what she might be carrying. But right, and, but you're right. Like we've covered this ground a little yeah. bit already. Yeah. Right. Um. So you know they decide to take her to a hospital and, um. You know, kind of, or or at least get equipment from a hospital. I guess they end up going right because they're in like an yeah. operating theater, so mm-hmm. they're in like a teaching room and you know all of that. But um, they end up going and and getting the scan, and they see it's a boy, um, a real boy, a human <laughs> boy. Um, Which and, again, sorry, that that occurred to me too because you kind of already said, okay, we we. It has a soul, so we might assume that it was human. But then also, like, kind of as they they mention, but then don't really address, like, it could be, like, I don't even really know why seeing it on, you know, the the monitor means that they know it's, like, human, it could be humanoid. Like, he, vampires right. are human-shaped, but, you right. know. Uh, so, again, like you said, like, it's kind of a little bit confusing as to what they know and how they know it and when and why and everything. Um, Like it almost seems like those two stories should have been like merged somehow. Sure. You know, like, yeah. How about the discovery of seeing its human shape with the, put that together with the, with the craving of pure blood and we put those things together and we come to the conclusion that this is a human baby with a soul, you know, but the fact that they find them out separately is kind of a little, uh, a little weird. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I like, I don't want to criticize too much, I guess, cause I, I don't know that it's a huge deal per se, but it just, it did sure. sort of bug me to like, yeah, that they kind of go over that ground when it's like, no, we kind of we kind of already dealt with that. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, and and it does um, again, whether it's kind of elegantly done or not, it leads to, you know, I think uh, one of the the more significant kind of character things, which is Angel's sort of um, reaction to that idea, you know, of you know that he is you know his thing of i'm gonna have a son me right, a father right. to a son you know and that kind of letting that knowledge sort of sink sink into his brain and everything over the course of the episode and the instant um you know not that he wasn't concerned or protective before but that dialing up um you know whereas in the previous episode cordy had to like bully him into wanting to take care of the situation. Um, you know, like he was kind of concerned about more concerned about how Cordy was reacting than he was about Darla or the the state of the baby or whatever. Um, but now that he knows he's going to be a father to a son, when they all are talking about, well, what if it has two heads? Right. Then he reacts protectively you know right. well it's my demon baby and you know I'll, I'll, right i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna keep it doesn't you know kind of like darla like it, she, she's family it doesn't matter you know what she's done in the past like if i have to protect her i will 
um, you know, that's a kind of instant development. As soon as he finds out that, you know, he is a father and has a human baby, suddenly, you know, that's how he feels. Yeah. Yep. I, right. Um, and he's at least willing to, you know, give it the benefit of the doubt. Like, like let, let's it see, at least see it first before we kill it. Like, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah. And so, but there's the interesting thing here too of like, I mean, like, not that, like, okay, yes, like, fathers. So fathers aren't always painted in the best picture, right? Like, especially when it's, like, illegitimate children. Sure. <laughs> like, like there's, there's often times where, you know, the, the father or father-to-be um, might try to skimp out. But here we have, like, angels sort of wanting to be, uh, you know, involved here. Mm -hmm. But not too many stories, I think, I mean, and, and at least not 15 years ago, mm. you know, maybe even less, where you have, like, the mother who is almost full term, <laughs> mm. you know, saying, you know, sort of in the way that Darla does, like, yeah, basically, I've tried to kill this thing a bunch of times and it just won't die. Like, right. Um, so... A little bit of a twist there, um, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. maybe not. Maybe not when you think about like what a vampire is, and and sort of, you know, that that's her personality is is death and destruction and all of that um, as well. Right. And especially given the amount of pain and discomfort that this thing, this person inside of her, has given her. Um, right. Right. So. Um, and, I, and, and I don't, I mean, I won't cast any aspersions on real people. Maybe there are, you know, plenty of cases out there in the real world. I mean, certainly there are some tragic things that happen, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with mothers and babies. So I don't, but I'm, I'm just speaking portrayal on TV anyway. Like yeah. you don't tend to get that sort of reaction to, you know, mothers, you know, when mothers are pregnant in TV shows kind of thing. Right. Um, right. So, at, at least from a stereotype uh, perspective in, in media, that's uh, very different, I feel like, um, especially for like an early 2000s sort of show. Yeah, no, the, the, more, the more usual way is, is, you know, that even if they didn't want to be a mother beforehand, that the, the reality of the pregnancy sort of you know, creates right. this maternal feeling where it may not even have existed and, before and they become sort of fiercely protective and, and, you know, uh, you know, for the baby and everything. Right. And sort of, um, you know, that tends again in TV or movies or whatever, like the whole setup here of like having the sonogram, like that's the thing too. Like, oh, you hear the heartbeat, and like suddenly it's right. real to you. It's real, kind of thing. yeah. And Darla's like, oh crap! Suddenly it is real, and like I want to kill it all the more. <laughs> yeah. um, right, right. And uh, like, like she's, uh, you know, the thing that turns her is 
um, like she's totally willing to give the baby over to like the vampire worshippers, right? Like she's she's perfectly fine with like yeah, cult of vampires. You can you can have the thing. Like yeah. I'm gonna go with you guys until Take them she learns all while you're while you're with it. <laughs> yeah, and and until she learns that they're gonna like eat her, kill her, kill too, her. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the process, and then it's like. Oh well, if you're gonna hurt me, then no, like right. I, I want to save myself, <laughs> kind right. of thing. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, just sort of noting that um, little bit of twist there. Um, again, maybe not wholly strange that Angel, as a father, would feel protective and stuff, but but the dynamic between the two would tend to tend to be more. Uh, the other way I yeah think. it's sort of a a flip sort of of, of the the cliche of you yeah. know how that normally goes yeah uh anyway um my little parasite as she calls it um sure so uh so yeah so um they make it out they kill a few vampires, make it out of the hospital, sort of drive off. Um, they're they're talking, you know, they talk about what they need to do and, you know, not, you know, don't want to go back to the hotel. Um, but they need to get the scrolls from the hotel before they can, you know, go to their next move. So that's mm -hmm. where they end up. Um, Angel's sneaking in. They kind of go to a back alley and Angel's going to sneak in the back door, which is kind of funny because like in front shots of the hotel, like you never, it never seems like that close to like other buildings. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. Um, but apparently they have like an alley. On right. Some, With like a some fire si escape. And some stuff. side of the building that we can't see. Yeah. Um, and, and so Angel's able to sort of climb in there. And uh, of course that's where he goes and meets Holt, who has just like killed the Wolfram mm -hmm. and Hart tactical team, um, and while they're in there doing their sort of face off, Darla starts going into labor. Her water breaks. Right. right. And there we are. To be continued. Yeah. Yeah. Couple. Um. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So what? What in all of that was there? I skipped over a few things, probably. So I don't know. No, I mean, wanna... again, I think that's a lot of um, plot setup. I mean, I don't think it's it's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the. <laughs> There's the no stuff like deep analysis, like deep, <laughs> deep thoughts associated with it. Um, I'm trying to think, and to be honest, I don't have much for the other you know, main characters. Um, sure. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, little moments here and there of, uh, you know, Fred's bright idea to sort of pretend that she's threatening the baby, which would have worked if she kept her voice down, like things like that. Um, but, you know, they're all kind of doing their thing as the different team members and um you know working well together as a team but i don't know that there's anything really to anything too profound to say about it yeah um yeah so 
we will have an episode of Buffy next, but then we'll have to come back uh, and see where the cliffhanger goes to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, on to our next cliffhanger. Or not cliffhanger, yeah. but, but first part, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's really a cliffhanger because we kind of know, like, Adama basically tells us what's going to happen next um, at the end. But anyway. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, you know, again, we have a split uh, sort of cast here, so easy enough to maybe go through one group and then the next. Um, and, uh, yeah, so figured we'd start with the COBOL crew, as we're calling them. <laughs> um and uh, it's like Motley Crew, the band, like <laughs> Cobalt Crew. Uh, they are um, kind of a Motley Crew in a way. Um, um, umlauts and everything, or uh, diuresis, I guess. I don't, I don't know. What are they? I guess. I don't know what I, the difference I, is, to be honest not, with you. Well, I don't. I, yeah, we don't need to go on that. <laughs> we'll get on that, that tangent. Um, okay, so, and I don't know, like, like again. As with the angel stuff, although we took up almost a whole hour of angel time talking about just plot movements, but um, I, you know, similarly, I don't know that there's a lot of depth in in all this stuff because it it's a lot of like just sort of moving pieces around to get to the next part. Um, yeah, yeah. So we get like, like we get you know the discussions around like can we trust Lee uh, or not? And, you know, Rosalind basically says, I trust him and therefore you have to trust him. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, which, which is fine. Um, Like we understand why she does that. And uh, that's all good. Um, It pisses off Zarek and his buddy. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know his buddy's name. Um, uh, I had to look it up. It's Meyer. Meyer. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. His his other leather jacket wearing. Right. right. Uh, his his bro there, as he called his, him. His second in command. Um, yeah. So yeah, like like they get sort of pissy about it. Um, go off and do some plotting on the side, and they're like, "Oh, speaking of prophecies, here's a convenient one for us." Uh, somebody's going to die. Let's just try to make sure we know who that's going to be. Right, right. Uh, Let's make and, it into the person who's most convenient for us. Yeah. Right. And, like, the as as prophecies are wont to be, uh, it's very vague on exactly who is doing the dying, so that kind mm-hmm. of lends itself conveniently for mm-hmm. them. Um, well, and, you know, this uh, continuing... Uh, you know, shadiness of Zarek of, you know, he's which we'd expect nothing less by this point of, you know, you, you make a a deal with the devil and, and, you know, he'll help you out, but he'll also kind of do what he wants as well. So it's like, you know, Zarek is convenient, as they said, for being the shady guy who can hide them and has all these shady friends who can, you know, get them where they need to go and everything but of course, it's all self-serving. It's all, he wants more power for himself. He wants, you know, to be in charge of the fleet. Um, he yeah. would, he would 
have Rosalind be the one to be killed if it wasn't for the kind of mythic power that she holds. So we'll kind of settle for being, you know, her, her advisor. And so we have to get rid of Lee to, to do that. Um, you know, because as long as he's around, he's going to be the guy, whereas, you know, Zarek wants to be the guy. Right, right. Um, and, right, and so the plotting becomes, like, how can he sort of ride the coattails until, right? you know, there's, a, you know, Rosalind's coattails until there's sort of an opportune time to, you know, yank on them and throw her to the wolves or, or whatever right. metaphor you want to use for that. But, um yeah, like like his whole comment about believing in the power of myth, like it's a good one. Like like he's not mythical. He might have been at one point, mm-hmm. but he's not anymore. Like because I feel like I feel like that's kind of the story of Zarek, like the the pre story, like the mm-hmm. the story we don't really explore here. But it's it's that you had people like Lee at one point admitting, you know, that he read. Zarek's banned book in college, you know, uh, and so at one point Zarek himself was sort of the mythical figure, and mm. and that might be why he believes in it because he was once the subject of myth, mm. um, and and now he's not. Now he's an elected official, and he's, you know, right. Yes, he still has this sort of shady connections, but they're just shady connections. He's not sort of the person that people look up to in that same way anymore. And, and so this all becomes like a, a way to sort of return to that or, or at least bide his time until he can figure out how to get that back. Mm -hmm. Um, But he having played that part before he also recognizes it in others. And so that's sort of his willingness with Rosalind, you know, to follow her and, and, you know, do what she will because, you know, he, he's sort of been through, he, he's been there and done that before and, and knows sort of what can happen. Right. Well, and yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, you know, all the, the, the parallels when he was first introduced between like him and Lee and that Lee did like Lee and Billy, you know, two of the most kind of upstanding idealistic characters that we have thought that his, some of his ideas were really good, even if they didn't always agree with his means. Um, and so you kind of get the idea that like Zarek, if he was presenting these views that these young idealists sort of believe in, he may have probably held those beliefs himself, I would imagine, at one point. But he's been through, you know, too much muck at this point. Like, he's... The things that he did, like the atrocities that he committed, the years spent in, you know, prison and all these things, like, all of that has sort of grounded out of him, you know? So, you know, he might have been a believer in myth because he knows not just being the subject of it, but like, you know, somebody who had beliefs and ideals and things that they fought for. And now he's a total, you know, cynic, um, Mm. who's kind of, uh, you know, 
again, it's hard to tell to what extent does he believe his own BS, you know, maybe he still kind of half believes it or he talks himself into thinking of himself as a hero when he's kind of not one anymore. But, um, but his, you know, his actions have sort of divorced from those things that he used to believe in anyway. But he still kind of understands the power of that over other people. Um, so yeah, again, like it's always hard to separate out, um, you know, what he's really, you know, because he's, he's still, even with all the murder plotting, he still talks about wanting to lead the people to freedom of like, so he sees Rosalind and Adama as this sort of, you know, tyrannous, uh, you know, uh, corrupt leadership that's, you know, holding back the, the full flowering of the fleet and everything. Um, mm. And he can somehow talk himself into as being the guy who will like, you know, deliver them from, from that. Um, but at what point does that switch over into, yeah, he just wants power. He just wants, to, he'll be his own sort of dictator in their place if he can only like move or his way in. Um, it's hard to kind of say, I think. Sure. Yeah, and uh, like, I mean, just to kind sorry. of bring up Meyer too, I'm not sure what, to, other than having a guy who he can plot with, I'm not sure what to say about Meyer. Um, yeah. You know. Just sort of other shady right hand dude. Um, yeah, and maybe they just need somebody. I'm crit ficking here, but maybe they just need somebody who he can kind of talk to so that we can like hear like, what is he thinking? What is he plotting? What are his motivations? That kind of thing. Right, right. It's someone for him to, you know, exposition to. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, Yeah, I don't I don't know that there needs to be anything more to his character than that. <laughs> um, Fair enough. All right, so we get all of that sort of you know, plotting and movement and whatnot. Um and hey, Starbuck returns. Um Yeah. Which I mean we knew that was coming because we saw her boarding the raider last time. Right, um, right. At the end. So, uh, along with Hilo and Sharon. Mm -hmm. uh, that, go that goes down real well. Lee's happy to see them all. Yeah. Um, oh, wait. I mean, he's really happy to see Starbuck at first. Yeah, really happy. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and of course, you know, uh, it's right after Starbuck, you know, Finds has, a, a, has, so, has made a new friend. Has found a fella, you know, down on the surface. You know, that's what Lee's perfect timing. This is when he chooses to, like, make his move. Um, right. So she does not mention uh, Sam at any point. Um, you know, know, not saying that she should. I'm just noting that she doesn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she doesn't. And... I mean, it does, though, seem clear that she's thinking about him. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I know. I mean, so all right. So going, going, continuing the Starbuck and Lee thing because I wasn't necessarily going to go for that. Like we get the whole standoff with Sharon and Hilo and Lee, and mm-hmm. that turns out okay for the most part, um, relatively speaking. Um, nobody dies is what I mean by that. No, although are we going to go back to that or are we going to? Yeah, we let's go we... back to that because I want to. Okay. I want to talk about Starbuck and Lee um, okay. more like finish out their stuff because yeah i mean part of it's you know all of that so like starbuck defends sharon sort of Mm. um or at least acknowledges that sharon like helped them you know help help rescue her yeah um and lee gets pissy with starbuck about it Mm-hmm. Um, then later you get Lee going into the brig looking like he's about to shoot Sharon and Starbuck comes in and stops him again mm-hmm. and then Starbuck is off by herself you know throwing her ball around thinking about Sam probably mm-hmm. um, I mean that seems you know it's a pyramid ball so it's a pyramid like, ball like, right, like right. that's the the right, this is connection, right? This is the symbol of Sam that she's sort of, yeah. Right. Remember when we had that metaphorical game of pyramid? Right, right. Um, so, and then Lee comes in, like, after having had these two altercations, mm. or at least, I mean, yeah, there's sort of altercations, right? Confrontations or whatever. Like, and and then like it's just kind of like trying to be playful like i don't like i don't and maybe this is just like stupid like it's like stupid junior high school guy stuff right like right. it's right it's definitely that thing of like oh i like you but i'm going to you know treat you like crap because of it kind of thing and, right and i'll take your ball and right yeah, yeah yeah and oh i'm just playing around like right right like that kind of thing and um i mean not that he should be able to read starbucks mind mm-hmm. but he 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 should be able to read her mood <laughs> like <laughs> like yeah. like you right. get this like if you are that interested in someone and like I mean, the sense is that, like, they've known each other for years now, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, she was with his brother, you know, for a time. And, and right. like, it's obviously not the first time that they've seen each other. You know, I mean, like, mm-hmm. you should be able to, like, know when when someone you know that well is just not into the whole stealing my ball and being a jerk about it thing. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. But then there's like, like they have their little like spat and he, you know, says the L word and she sort of mocks him for it and Mm -hmm. he runs off and stuff. So like, I don't know. It's just a very weird sort of thing going on here. And not, not to say that that, like, I mean, their whole relationship has had that sort of like tension and. Mm-hmm. not really like sort of talking past each other and and right. all of that going on but right. i don't know it just it's it's like even a 
different level at this point now. And of course, we know what's going on with Starbuck and Sam and stuff right. that Lee clearly doesn't. But um, again, right. like, 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 he shouldn't be that clueless. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But then I guess, I guess throughout the series, you can say that a lot about Lee. Yeah, I um, think he is kind of clueless about certain things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. and I feel like that's kind of what I, not thinking ahead of this scene at all, but I feel like it only, um, you know, kind of confirms what I was saying in the last one about how there's a different quality to the kind of teasing relationship that Sam and Starbuck have, even in one episode, you know, mm. as opposed to Starbuck and Lee, like, you know, with, with this stuff here, it's like you, okay, it's teasing and playful, but like, you're on the verge of like a knockdown drag out fight. It just doesn't go there. It's just like, we're almost, but like, we don't actually like, like she could kind of flip out at him any moment for taking the ball and being like clueless, like you said. Um, and he's ready to, you know, get on her case about all the stuff that happened on, you know, Galactica while she was away and bringing Sharon on and everything. So there's this like, even when it's what's flirtatious or teasing or whatever, there's still like this kind of charged, like, I don't know, like anger behind it. Um, but, yeah. you know, whereas, like, it seemed to me, like, with Starbuck and Sam, it was more that just playful teasing. Um, mm -hmm. And again, they don't know each other as well. There's not history there. They're not being passive aggressive in that way or anything. Um, so maybe it's just a difference of that. Um, and... You know, I mean, yeah, and, I want to pay attention think, to where it goes. That makes it sound like I've I have a preference in a sort of shipping kind of way, and right, I don't right, mean right. it like that necessarily. I mean, I kind of do. At at this point, I feel like <laughs> let me take that back. I'm not a shipper, so I'm not like advocating for one over the other. But like my right my my observation at this point so far leads me to conclude that. Starbuck works better romantically with Sam than she does with Lee. Like, oh, sure. You know, like that just seems obvious and to me anyway. Um, so even though these two are like, they come back and Lee is kind of ready to, you know, I want to say ready to kick it up a notch, but he's not because he won't admit to anything. Like, right. you know, he kisses her and then tells her he loves her, but like all that's just in good fun. That That's what friends say to each other to like tease each other and whatever so he's not like openly admitting anything but the feelings must be getting stronger because he's acting on them in ways that he hasn't up until now um right and she kind of acknowledges it but also doesn't she teases him back like like you said she mocks him when he says that he loves her so it's not like she's ready to have a serious conversation about it but, like they're both kind of not really wanting to go there um. yeah no and and i think you're right when you say like it i mean I, there's just there's baggage there to use an overused word like mm -hmm. like there's just you know starbuck and sam they 
they meet each other and there's connection and nothing to right nothing that corrodes that connection like right. Starbuck and Lee have. So I think I think yeah, I think you're right in that respect. Like it it just seems like part of the reason why it is so much easier is just because you don't have to like fight through all of that mm. sludge that is backstory, you know, to right. Starbuck and Lee's relationship. Um, including everything up to, you know, Starbuck being responsible for Lee's brother's death. <laughs> you know, like, like that kind of stuff. That you know, kind like, of stuff like, that holds you back. <laughs> like sort of, you know, things that are a little bit heavy, you know, yeah. just, just the yeah. slightest bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Right. And, and the kind of all the resentment that of, of everything each other, you know, so they're saying, you know, Lee's like, well, you know, you went away, you stole the, the Cylon ship and you left. And then this stuff happened, which he could kind of blame her for because she shouldn't have done if he wanted to, you know, he, he could yeah. work a way to make well, that happen. So, all right. So here's the thing, right? Okay. And I know we're getting like, we're even going back to maybe even like with the showdown and stuff. So yeah, Starbuck maybe, sh I mean, she definitely disobeyed orders by going off. Yeah. Which led to Sharon being the one flying the raptor into the base star, which seems right. to be the thing that triggered her, you know, shooting right. Adama and whatnot. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can. Right. You, you can, you can talk trace yourself into that. that. Yeah, you can you can trace that line and and see it and maybe even be somewhat accurate in, in speaking it. However, mm -hmm. Lee, you know, say like making a half threat, half joke about putting Starbuck in the brig for you know her actions there. This is the same guy who recently held a gun up to Ty's head. Right. And incited rebellion, basically, in that movie. Right. Oh, and by the way, broke the president out of jail and, you know, uh, violated martial law and all of this stuff. Like, right. like it, it's convenient for him. Like, he, he's okay with law and order and discipline and all of that when it's convenient for him. And yeah. when it's not, he's okay with not have, not dealing with those things. Which basically means he doesn't have it at all. Like, the whole law and order thing. Like, mm -hmm. like if he's just willing to break it whenever it's inconvenient for him, that that's, that's not law and order. <laughs> like, right. that's precisely the opposite of law and order. Like, right. So. Right, which is what she says. Like you, you right. big fat hypocrite. You know, she says you're clearly the poster child for military discipline. Like, don't give me a lecture on military discipline. Like, you know, and I don't think she's judging him. Like, I think she's saying I broke the rules when I decided to, when it suited me, when I believed it was the right thing to do, just like you did. So how about we don't like point fingers at each other? Um, yeah. And I think that's, one of the interesting stories you can tell in this show and other things like it where like, I mean, when is it okay to 
you know, okay, to what extent can you believe in the rule of law and order if you also believe that there are times when it's appropriate to break it? And where is that line? Um, right. Well, you know. and it's it's the difference between the spirit and the letter of the law, right. too. Right. You know, like, and and a recognition of when the law is outdated and needs updating. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like, there's an argument for, like, maybe maybe the constitution that worked for 12 or 13 or whatever planets doesn't work the same for 50 odd ships right you know like like maybe there's a different way to go about managing this type of society right um not i mean like high principles might be the same like mm-hmm. freedom of speech and and those sorts of things but like i'm talking like practical sort of stuff like yeah like i don't i i can't even think of a specific example off the top of my head but like just just the way the whole thing is structured which is kind of zarek's point so like, i was just gonna he, say that was Zarek's kind of, political platform <laughs> yeah he kind of has it right that like maybe maybe there's a different like maybe we need to stop thinking of ourselves you know in as far as what planet we were born on and mm-hmm. start thinking of like what ship we live on now and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like maybe our, our loyalty needs to shift in certain ways. And, and like, I don't necessarily think he's wrong in that. Um, right. Doesn't mean I think he's right in the way he wants to implement it or, right. you know, think that he's wholly, you know, uh, pure hearted in his mm-hmm. desires and, you know, implementations, but I I don't think he's completely wrong in, in sort of having that view, which is, I mean, goes to why I like BFG yeah. as a whole, because I think, I think in all, each of the characters has their strong points and their, their weak points. And, and, yeah. you know, you kind of can see just like real people, you know, have yeah. maybe like, things that you can really agree with on but then sometimes they just come up with like some really kooky stuff uh right yeah i think that the show is really good at that of at at all times everybody's wrong and everybody's right you know and it sort of it depends on how you look at it or the context or the situation or what they're willing to do to you know enforce their ideas or whatever um so you know yeah. Um, so, which, you know, sorry. so the, the Zarek Meyer plotting thing for me strays a little close to like, all right, these are the black hats, you know, in their leather jackets who are like, you know, like, cause I, I do think like the show works best when it is people who you understand their viewpoint, even if you don't totally agree with what their actions are or something. Um, so, you know, I would maybe wish it pulled back a little bit from that. Um, but, you know, I think it's still there. Um, you know, you can still at least understand all the different viewpoints that are involved. Yeah. And I guess, I guess even that, though, there's a level of interpretation because, like, it boils down to, like, like there's no doubt that Zarek wants the power. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily think that means he's insincere as far as what he believes is right for the colonies. Sure. Like, like, 
he can still like I'll throw out sort of like a Bernie Sanders. Although I think you could No, I'm not gonna say that. Never mind. I'll I'll throw out like a Bernie Sanders thing. Like <laughs> like his whole his whole platform is like you know, this this socialism thing and whatever and like he's whether it's true or not, he paints himself as sort of like the reluctant you yeah. know, politician, reluctant mm-hmm. leader kind of thing. Um, but there's still a sense in his, you know, the very essence of his campaign that he believes he would make a better leader than everyone else. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, like, that's and, why you run for president. Yeah. And, and I don't know that, I mean, again, like, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to make too strong a comparison between, Zarek and Sanders, because I also think there's a comparison to be made between like Trump and Zarek mm-hmm. that um, you know is whatever. But yeah, uh, I I do think that there's there is an aspect of just yeah that by the the very by even thinking that you could be president or the leader whatever like there is a sort of hubris. In, in a sense um or maybe maybe if that's too strong at least at least uh uh implicit complete uh uh confidence in your own capability <laughs> like it's if, if that's not it, if yeah. that's not overstating it you know yeah. like um so yeah like i don't i i i think that Zara could be completely earnest in believing that his way is the best way and also have that sort of egotistical I just want to lead attitude as well. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't necessarily see those as being mutually exclusive. Sure. Just my two cents. Sure. I know that th- there were way too many words for that to be <laughs> only two cents, but So we kind of got back onto Zarek again, um, but I do want to talk about that showdown yes. with Lee oh. and Sharon and Hilo. Oh, unless you had something no, before no. that. I want to talk about that too. Um, and one of the most important things, like speaking of questionable leaders, um, the kind of, to me, uh, shocking moment of Roslyn, um, Madame Airlock, you know, it's, it's her kind of fake out there of, you know, everybody just be reasonable, put down your guns. Yeah. Like doing her thing. And then, all right, now throw her out the air like that, that, that cold reversal, you know, of, um, her in her, you know, commander in chief, you know, judge, jury and executioner. Um, but there is precedent for that too. Absolutely. Yeah. With Leah. Because that's same, like she got what she needed from him. Right. And then boom, out the airlock. So yeah, like totally. Yeah. Precedent. And, and in a way even more ruthless than Adama. Yeah. Because Adama still had, you know, other Sharon locked up and was only moving her to like a better, you know, a more secure facility 
when she got killed by Callie, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's not, like, Adama wasn't, like, in executioner mode. Even or though, it was Ty doing those things. Oh, yeah, Adama you're right. Still... You're right. It was Ty. So, like, that's yeah. even worse because you expect <laughs> Ty to be in, you know, right. Mr. Executioner. Like, right, right. To have no, but, but he holds himself back precisely because he knows Adama wouldn't want it that right. way. Right. Um, so, yeah. So. And I think it, it, I guess it feels, it absolutely has precedent. You're right about that. And I think this is a, it, it's not that it's different, but I think it feels different in that at least with Leoben as like a viewer, you're set up to think of him as like a bad guy. Like this is the bad, scary Cylon who like is creepy and like who we kind of feel some maybe empathy for at the end, but like he's still kind of one of the bad ones. Whereas like Sharon's the good Cylon, you know, who is helpful yeah. and, and is switching sides and she's, you know, she really loves Hilo and she's working for us now and all this stuff. And or even Boomer, like you feel mm. sorry for her, like she didn't know what she was doing. She didn't do it on purpose. It was unfair, all these things. So then to have Rosalind, you know, take that one and say, Ned, check her out the airlock. Um, that's where all the Cylons go. Um, you know, I think again, you're right, it's not different, but I think you get lulled into thinking she'll behave differently and she doesn't. Right. Um, you know, if you had a, an illusion that she would be more merciful towards, you know, a Cylon that we we're maybe starting to like, um, that's not what happens, at least not at first. Um, and only really keeps her around because they can use her to, you know, get what they want and help find the, the tomb and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, given our discussion about Zarek and using people for his own ends, like, makes you, again, have to sort of mm -hmm. think, like, how, how different is Rosalind really? Yeah. Especially when, like, you know that she's not even sincere in her own playing of the religious card as she puts right. it. Right. Right. Like she's, right. it's like, Oh, so like, like she doesn't want to be the Messiah or whatever, but she's perfectly fine to like talk as though she were. Right. Um, right. Like just like Zarek, she believes in the power of myth, even if she doesn't totally believe in it herself. Right. Um, like, I think she believes in, she seems to believe that, there's this prophecy and they have to do things a certain way in order to kind of find earth and everything. She doesn't necessarily believe in her own like part in it, you yeah. know, in herself or, in that way, but she's or, willing or to Or at least not wholly. Like, yeah. like there definitely yeah. seems to be, like, I, I wouldn't say she completely disbelieves either. Like, right, right. Like it's, it's more of a, she's not quite sure. And maybe, things become a little too real at times, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, like I don't get the sense that she's fully one way or the other. Right. Um, the other thing that sort of struck me with like, and, and when I was talking about like, you know, Starbucks disobeying orders and, you know, Lee criticizing for it, for her, for it, even though, you know, he 
put his gun to Ty's head. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, like, it struck me like, well, here we have yet another example with Hilo of holding a gun to a superior officer's head. Uh, we saw this previously with, you know, uh, uh, Crashdown and, you know, right. uh, Tyrol and, uh, and well, Baltar, although he's... Mm-hmm. not military so it's right, not really right. quite the same situation but right. like like it's just like we actually like we're getting quite a lot of this sort of mm-hmm. thing and maybe this is just what happens when your entire civilization crashes you know and things start to fall apart in different areas of you know your military structure but yeah, yeah it's just it's just kind of like okay so so here here you know here we have yet another example of uh, superior officers having guns held to their heads. Right. Um, and these people, they're getting away with it. You know, like you, again, like in a functional, you know, civilization and a functional military where the fate of humanity didn't depend on like not locking people up or kicking them out of their jobs or whatever other consequences normally go along with these things. Um, that like is just a reality of their situation and you can do it and still live to fight, you know, with your rank, um, you know, pretty much intact. Like, it's just kind of, it seems natural and assumed now that if, you know, if it hits the fan, you can do like pull out your gun and, you know, as long as things sort of work out, you can get away with that without there having been like, consequences for those actions right um like there's a kind of leveling here of like all right yes there's rank but like we're all just sort of fighting for survival so um you know and and so yeah all these people are kind of doing things taking liberties that they normally wouldn't be able to take i think yeah yeah um and and colluding, like you know, between um, uh, 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 Baltar and Tyrrell, you know, sort of mm-hmm. on the fly, like agreeing to not reveal what exactly happened and and right. that sort of thing. Um, right. There's the agreement from above and below to to kind of look the other way. Um, yeah. You know. Like, the superior officer who's being pointed at doesn't like it, but, like, you know, like, again, like, Ty puts Lee in the brig. He doesn't, like, strip him of all of his authority, like, because he can't afford to do that. Um, Right, and then, like, lets him out, you know, to, like, lead the cag, you know, be the cag and stuff. And it's just like, okay. Right, right, right. So whereas here, same thing. Like, there's really no consequence to Hilo for you know, for doing well, this. Well, isn't, Hilo's in the brig with Sharon, isn't is he? Is he in the brig or is he kind of Or was he only visiting? Around? I think he was just visiting. Oh, okay. Maybe I... I mean, Rosalind has the threat, but it's kind of the empty threat to Sharon of, oh, we'll put Hilo out the, the airlock too. I don't think he's in the brig though. I think he's kind of oh, okay. just Maybe around. I misunderstood um, what was yeah, going on there. Yeah, I could be wrong about that. Um. Anyway, okay. So, all right. So all of this ends up with the Cobalt crew actually going to Cobalt. Um, with Sharon leading them, Zarek and his bro, 
you know, uh, planning to kill Lee. Lee gives Zarek a gun. Yeah. So it's like, here's the ironic, yeah. you know, weapon with which to kill me. Um, Speaking of Lee not being able to read the temperature of the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so... I mean, there's there's sort of the religious stuff, and oh, we found we found the one spot on the entire planet where, you know, this passage of scripture was talking about, and you know, now we have Sharon the Cylon leading us through the woods, and mm-hmm. oh, look, we're attacked by mechanical Cylons. Um, fighting ensues. Sharon kills the last of the Cylons, and then like drops her gun at Lee's feet to prove that she's on their side. And right. uh, in the midst of it all, the, the priest is killed. Um, right. the, one, the one saying that they wouldn't all make it back is right. the very one who doesn't make it back. Right. Um, of course. And, like, I mean, I don't, not that I think Zarek is wholly against killing Lee still, but, like, you also get the sense that, like, like it's real now for him and Meyer, right? Like, mm. like you kind of get a look on their face, like, oh wait, stuff really went down, and like there are actually people dead, and so maybe, maybe let's think twice now about what we're about to do. Right, or, like we can plot all we can plot all we want, but you know, fate might decide yeah. to kill somebody else. You know, no yeah. matter what we do, it could be yeah. us. It could be any of us. You know, well. And and it's a different thing than like because wasn't wasn't Zarek in prison for like blowing up a building or something? Yeah. But like, that's that's something that can be done remotely. Like you don't have to see the mm. up closeness of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can pull like a Timothy McVeigh and drive a van up to a building and and then walk away. Like, right. You know, you don't have to like be there and see people getting killed. But this right, is this right, is right. battle. This is like up close, personal. You know that kind of thing. And I don't know. I don't know if Zarek has ever done that sort of thing. Like it's it's one thing to be all sort of like philosophical yeah. about freedom fighting and right. you know, you know, planning to blow up a building from afar. But it's a different thing to be in the moment and pointing a gun at someone and. Right. Or having the opportunity anyway, even if you don't end up taking them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on the Cobalt stuff? Because, like, like, they're there. Like, they fought the Cylons, and that's kind of where we leave them at this right. point. With, no, like, I think that's... One of their party dead. Right. I think o- that's only a good one, place right? to... Like, uh, only her, I think just her... Better? No, just her so far. Um, so yeah, so all that said, moving to like, like we kind of get like the big, uh, casting crew on, on Cobalt of the Cobalt crew, Mm -hmm. um, the Cobalt casting crew, (laughs) um, with Galactica, it's pretty much Adama. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Like. Which I mean, you said is only fair, given that he's been unconscious for like the first four right. episodes of the, you know, right? Season. Yeah, and it was like the the end of like the fourth episode, wasn't it? That he comes back, and then like episode five is where like yeah, we yeah, kind of something first like see that. Him in mm-hmm. action and stuff. 
Um, yeah. And we get it like a small bit with Baltar, but I don't even know that we need to talk through any of that. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's anything. It's just a check-in, really, with Baltar and Head Six. Yeah, um, right. It's talking just like, about how like, oh, stupid still, these humans are. He's like, still in his around. lab talking to, yeah, his imaginary friend. Right. Um, Pretending to be fixing the broken silent detecting system and everything and really right. thinking about other things. Um, uh, yeah, and I don't, I mean, I don't even know that we need to spend a ton of time talking through because it is it like there is a sense where this is just like more adama being an idiot before he realizes how much of an idiot he's being yeah um so you get like but i kind of like that because you know i mean i think talking about like what we said about the show allowing different people to be right and wrong in different ways. Like I think the show is comfortable with having its, its heroes or its leaders not always be a hundred percent in the right. So on the one hand, it could just, I think it's easy to sort of, it wouldn't be problematic to just sort of go with that. But on the other hand, it's like, well, in the last episode, we were talking about how frustrating Adama was behaving. Yep. And then this episode kind of calls him on it and kind of says like, Hey, you're being kind of an idiot. Um, and it gives it to D, which I think is fantastic. Like, um, this isn't, you know, one of my favorite episodes by any stretch, but I really love that section with D, that she gets to be the voice of that, you know, uh, bringing, snapping him back into his, you know, what we've seen as his common sense and everything. Yeah. Um, which we don't have to necessarily talk. There might be other things we want to talk about first, but. Um. Sure. Well, I think, so I think there's, there's definitely sort of a character thought shift there. You know, I, I don't know if it's changing character per se, but a, a perception change that Adama goes through, I think in this episode, because mm -hmm. like at the beginning you get him talking, um, with D and Ty, like about the fact that like almost a third of their fleet is gone. Yeah. And he's like, you know, tell me, you know, what, what the damage is or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, what's left or whatever. And, and, you know, like D starts saying like, Oh, we've lost so many people from this colony and this colony. And he's like, no, no. Like I said, what, not who, like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't, I want to know, like, ship-wise and fleet-wise, like, what have we lost, you know, as far as resources and whatever. So you go from that to the end where it's, you know, well, it's time to put this family back together. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, I mean, it's a little more incremental than that, but that, you know, those are sort of the two endpoints, I mm -hmm. think where we have him completely disinterested in, in talking about the people. And at the end it becomes like the people are all that matter. Like, like, yeah. you know, we need to not worry about the fact that we lost the, I mean, not that you're not worried about losing certain ships and stuff, but like, it's about putting the family together. And, and in between there you have Adama talking to like the new CAG guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
where he talks about like you know the Battlestar being like a family again you know the military family sort of idea mm-hmm. but um sort of not wanting to talk about his own actual family <laughs> i.e lee you know yeah. who just left and that sort of thing and so so there's sort of a disconnect there it's like the thing that's not your family is your family and the thing that is your family is not your family and right. and and there's sort of a weird resolution there and so it's it's when he sort of expands that and one to embrace his actual family but also to embrace the entire fleet as sort of the family, mm-hmm. um, you know, beyond just sort of the military aspect, uh, yeah. that, that, you know, he sort of comes to grips with like, Oh, this is, this is the right path to take. And, and I think you're right. Like D, you know, uh, communication specialist D, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, is the one who effectively communicates that to him. Um, yeah. so, and, and also like, there seems to be, I don't know that we've talked a lot about it before, but there does seem to be a certain rapport that Adama has with D, and mm-hmm. not and like he has rapports with a lot of rapports, uh, with a lot of his individual crew members. But like, yeah. there seems to be even something even more special that he has with D, and like I don't know that we've really gotten an explanation for it but like mm-hmm. even it, and maybe it is just that she's a good communicator because that's her job and mm-hmm. and whatnot but um you know she she does sort of speak with the voice of the battle star you know to other ships and that kind of thing and yeah and so there's like a level of trust and understanding between them but she also has that with lee too mm-hmm. so like you get the sense that like like this is her thing that like she's able to sort of figure out the right ways to communicate with different people and communicate effectively in those ways. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, again, that's part of her job, but why is it her job? Because, you know, probably because she's good at it and has a, a, a propensity for being able to do that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, so you get (laughs) like, like I get when, I, I like it when Adam's in there and, and, and you, at first you don't like know who he's talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you find out it's D and it is unexpected. And then like, she calls him and kind of the audience out on that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you called me in here to talk and maybe it's cause you thought I didn't have anything to say. Right. But actually I do. And then like, he like basically orders her to leave and here we go yet again, you know, another, person mm-hmm. defying uh order of a you know superior officer and like not a superior officer but the superior officer right, like right. the highest up you can go right um a guy who as recently as you know before he just got shot a few days ago you know has like threw his own son in the brig kind of thing you know what i mean like right right uh, who's been acting kind of unreasonably in the last few episodes which is what she's calling him out on it's like right yeah so like like with perhaps the full expectation of herself maybe being in the brig but but you know again uses her communication skills to like clearly get across like this is what needs to happen and and 
and this is what I think. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You, I, you, I know you really like the scene, so I hope I didn't steal, but gave you a jumping point from which to further talk about it, if you if you so desire. No, I mean, I think you kind of said a lot of the things that that I like about it. Like, I like that that highlights her in a particular way that we haven't seen, you know, and, you know, there is that sense of, he says like, speak your mind D, but then he doesn't really want her to like, that's like, she says, that's why he called her in is thinking, well, she'll be a really good listener, you know, like she'll sit there quietly and, Mm -hmm. and commiserate and tell me how unfair everything is and, you know, be a sounding board for all of the, the rage and the betrayal that he feels and everything. And, um, and that's, I, and I like that, you know, it, even though it, I don't want to say it doesn't come naturally to her because you're right. I think that communication is probably her strength, but on the other hand, it's not like she normally goes around telling her superior officers exactly what she thinks like so there's still the sense of she's taking a risk in speaking this this frankly with him but but that she it's worth it to just do it anyway and kind of that sense of i'm not leaving till i say what i think and nobody else is going to so i will um you know and that you know she the line about you know, you think I don't have anything to say, like putting that in, you know, it's not one of his normal, like it's not Ty or Starbuck or Lee or Rosalind who have the authority to kind of tell Adama when he's being like, you know, a doofus or whatever. It's like, it's, you know, little D who's like the communications officer in the CIC. Like this is somebody without power um, who can speak her mind and like has enough power to sort of change the course of his actions. Um, You know, so that kind of moment of triumph at the end when he kind of announces that he's changing, you know, he changes his mind. We're going to go put the family together and her just kind of quiet smile to herself. Like, you know, I did that. It worked, you know, that paid off. Um, You know, I think it's just a cool thing an unexpected way to use the character, which I like. Yeah. Um, and also like you, you mentioned her as this, the voice that calls out to the fleet and everything. Um, something I've noticed more on rewatch is uh, the, her as this kind of, I like that this happens in this episode called home because that's mm. what she always tells the pilots is come on home, you know? So she's this kind sure. of emblematic of this idea of, home and togetherness and you know bringing the fleet back together um you know so i think it's appropriate that when they're split apart and they need to come back home she's the one that voice that kind of calls them to do that um Hmm. so yeah i think it's just a really nice way to use the you know the d character and everything yeah yeah i didn't really even think about that that she's the one who says come home, but yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we covered a lot of it. Um, I guess like one final thing for Adama too, kind of going back to the beginning, like his, his whole like 
anger at the start of it and everything, um, you know, hitting home the extent to which that, you know, that personal betrayal is, is like the hardest thing for him. Like, you know, if we're kind of saying, I just think that's an interesting, an important character note that if we're saying that the show is good at having like multiple viewpoints that you can at least understand, if not totally agree with, or, you know, uh, support Adama doesn't feel that way. There's this definite sense of, there's no effort there to understand where Roslyn or Lee might be coming from. That it's, you know, a personal betrayal is the kind of worst sin that you can possibly, you know, commit and everything. Um, sure. You know, even the way he kind of uh, talks about when he's talking about his the ship being a family and I, I love them as much as I love my sons. Talking about it like as if Lee died. Like, <laughs> like... I'm putting right. him in the same camp as Zach. Like, I love my dead sons. That's how much I love the fleet. Like, I, I'm not even separating, like, the living one from the dead one and everything. Um, yeah. You know, and obviously, D is able to cut through that and get through to him in a way that probably nobody else really could. But, um, you know, again, these couple episodes being a different, maybe a, like, a slightly darker side of Adama than what we've seen, you know, in the first season or something. Um, yeah. Just wanted to kind of point that out. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, yeah. And then there's the whole, you know, Birch guy, but he doesn't last very long. So. <laughs> right. The new, the new keg. Right. Yeah. I, we, I didn't, I don't know that we need to, say anything about that you know too much yeah new guy doesn't work out all right no um cool. all right well we've got part two then of course for next week and we've got um a, a, a pretty fun episode of buffy actually so uh coming coming off of the musical so we'll, yeah uh, we'll uh get that that next week sounds good see you then